Hey folks, tune in and let's bite the talk with us, the podcast crew from the Global Alliance for Improved Nutrition, also known as GAIN. I am Sharada Keats. I am Munya Valdez. And I am Grace Thule, and we will be your hosts. Hello, welcome to today's episode called New Commitments, New Partnerships, New Solutions. And today we have special guest Lawrence Haddad on to give us his thoughts about uh, the whirlwind that was 2021 and to look forward to 2022 to discuss uh, what's at stake for our food systems. Hi, Lawrence, welcome. Hi, Sharada, nice to be here. That's great. Do you think um, for our new listeners who don't know you, you could just give us a little introduction of yourself? Sure. I've been uh, the executive director at GAIN for the past five years. And before that, I was the chair of the Global Nutrition Report uh, for two years. And before that, I was the director of the Institute of Development Studies for 10 years. And before that, I was the director of IFPRI's Food Consumption and Nutrition Division for 10 years. I'm an economist. I taught at Warwick University for three years in the economics department. I've studied food, agriculture, nutrition, and economics pretty much since I was 18. Um, and uh, I grew up in London, and I'm born in South Africa, Lebanese descent, married to a French Greek woman with Cambodian kids. Brilliant. Thanks, Lawrence. That's a much better job than I could have done. So, Lawrence, um, last time you were on Bite the Talk was before the United Nations Food Systems Summit, pre-summit, um, about six months back. And uh, a lot has been packed into those last six months, and we know that there's a lot to look forward to. Um, 2021 has been a really major year for food systems and for GAIN. We just had uh, recently in December the postponed uh, Japan Nutrition for Growth Summit. We had the 26th Climate COP in November, and of course the United Nations Food Systems Summit in September. And there were just months of preparation that went into these key events on the food systems landscape that have been you know, ultimately seeking to change current um, undesirable trajectories on universal goals like better nutrition, better livelihoods and environment. So about the um, one of these big milestone events, the Food Systems Summit, Lawrence, I wanted to hear your experiences as the chair of an action track uh, during this whole process and uh, hear a little bit about you know which ideas inspired you the most and what do you think we need to do now to keep the momentum going? Thanks Sharada. I mean it was kind of uh, exhilarating and exhausting in equal measures to be one of these chairs of these action tracks. I mean uh, exhilarating because there were so many fantastic ideas that were floating around uh, so much learning. I always say to everyone I, I work with, if you stop learning, it's no fun. You need to find a way to keep learning. This was a massive learning opportunity for me and so many people. It was great to meet uh, different partners, you know, lots of people who are like, uh, where have you been all my life kind of thing, discussions about you've been working on this for the last five years. Well, I've been working on something that's 95% the same, but we haven't met. A lot of exasperation as well. Some of those people who are working on very similar topics don't want to talk to each other or don't want to work together. So a lot of people wanting to control a very small thing rather than relinquish some control and grow a very big thing together with lots of other people. And then lots of um, people who are very comfortable being in their own little worlds and not 
having to confront the reality that their world is not as perfect as it may seem. So, for example, in the livestock discussions that we were having, there were sort of three groups really in livestock. One group says, you know, everything's fine. We're sort of slowly moving towards where we need to be. Uh, enough livestock is being produced. Yes, it's getting slowly better in terms of environmental degradation and footprint. And, you know, the world needs all this livestock. Uh, it's important for livelihoods, important for nutrition. Then there's another group right at the other end of the spectrum that says, basically, we need to end livestock. We need to kill it. We don't want a livestock sector to even exist. And I was really shocked when I heard that. I mean, really people who are on the face of it, pretty credible people arguing for that. Then, of course, in the middle, there's this big silent majority group who's saying, look, livestock's important for livelihoods for certain key groups. And... Um, you know, for certain groups that are at risk of malnutrition, uh, very young children, pregnant lactating women, women of reproductive age, adolescents, you know, these animal source foods are pretty important. At least some of them are because they have bioavailable uh, micronutrients, um, minerals and vitamins, and that, that's absolutely key for growth. And and that middle group was saying, yeah, you know, of course, livestock's important for these reasons, but of course, yes, we have to dramatically decouple increases in consumption in livestock production and consumption from greenhouse gas emissions from environmental footprints. So there were, there weren't, in the, and those three groups didn't really want to talk to each other. They were very comfortable in their own little worlds, pursuing their own, their own agendas. And it was, there's no forcing mechanism. I think I realized that, or even maybe put it more, more charitably, no consensus building mechanism exists. So that was kind of exasperating. Uh, in terms of surprises, I was really surprised that there wasn't, when we started out the food system summit process, no one was talking about hunger and hunger numbers were going up dramatically. And in July, we had some numbers that showed um, the numbers have gone up by 20% in one year because of COVID. So I was a bit surprised by that. We worked hard to change that. And I was also surprised by the um, unleashing of the power of youth became a very powerful theme throughout 2021. Um, not just youth expressing their opinions, but youth um, committing to action and challenging others to commit to action. So those are some of the inspirations, learnings, exasperations, and surprises. What were the most interesting ideas? Uh, you know, I, I'm very excited by, by things like this anemia alliance i think we haven't you know the the progress on women's anemia uh, we're only going to hit the, the the 2030 targets in 2130 so that's 100 years too late and um what's the way to address that well it's through the food system but it's also reaching out to the health system for multiple micronutrient supplements it's reaching out to the environment system because we want to reduce vector loads of things like malaria and then it's also appealing to uh, a women's empowerment framing because anemia affects women more than men and so yeah this is the thing that really excited me about this year it's it seems like the boundaries at least temporarily have been lowered between all these different tribes. And it's really up to us to, to leap across them and make sure that we don't let them build up again in 2022. So long answer, Sharada, back to you. No, yeah, I can see why you uh, describe it as exhilarating and exhausting and exciting. Um, it really is just a 
such a huge agenda, but what's the next step for keeping all of this going in, in your view? Well, you know, I think the challenge is to keep the energy levels up, mm -hmm. is to keep the collective energy up. So I think individual institutions will have been energized by, by this year. I mean, GAIN certainly has. Um, we have a whole bunch of new energy to feed into a work around environment, work around youth, work around business. There's a lot of new stuff that we are going to pick up. There's uh, another way of keeping the energy going is to work with some of those new partners that we identified. Mm -hmm. Again, we identified uh, new partners like CARE, like uh, the B Corp, uh, a lot of youth partnerships. Um, we need to keep working with them and build something with them. So not just have nice conversations with them. And then and then collectively, at a, a bigger collective level, we need to take a few risks. We need to do things like um, this Food Forward Consortium that uh, CARE and GAIN and EAT and WWF and ECAD and the Club of Rome and others will develop to, to really take forward uh, some of these ideas in a very specific geography. So wherever cities or, or nations or uh, local authorities want to really transform their food systems and they have a plan and they need support and help to, to implement, they need someone uh, walking side by side with them to do that. I think we need to construct interesting uh, coalitions or consortium of, of talents uh, to, to work with them and, and be with them for the, for the long run for not just three years, but five and eight years to 2030. So I think there are lots of different ways to, to keep the energy levels up. I think the biggest unlock of energy is not only working with the same partners we always work with. And I think that's very important in these COVID days because the COVID and the lockdowns and the restrictions it generates sort of incentivizes us to in keep investing in the bonding social capital, you know, our, our groups, our 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 communities um, but we also need to invest in the bridging social capital we're never going to get anywhere unless we bridge into these other arenas nutrition needs to bridge into climate needs to bridge into covid needs to bridge into environment and if it doesn't do that its horizons are limited yeah so lots going on energies there but um bringing together the right parties is a challenge and i guess it um I mean, just the example that you gave earlier of the of the three different groups in the in the livestock kind of controversy is um, probably, you know, highlighting how um, how difficult some of those bridges potentially will be. But um, but no reason not to not to try to go for them. I've wanted to move on a bit to talk about some of the commitments that have come out of these processes that we've had last year. So. There have been um, commitments coming out of the Food Systems Summit, coming out of N4G, and there have been some disappointments in terms of uh, some of the more vague commitments, but there's also been some, some fairly positive outcomes as well. I wonder if you could tell us about the commitments that GAIN has made for these uh, moments and, and why you think that they're important. If I can, Sherrod, I'd like to talk more generally about the commitments and then come to GAIN, if that's okay with you. Please, yeah, go ahead. I mean, one of the big commitments coming out of the UN Food System Summit are these publicly available national food system pathways. I mean, they're quite quite strong commitments. They're not smart, you know, they're not specific, measurable 
assignable, realistic, and time-bound necessarily. But they are a public statement of intent. They are, you know, country X saying, we are going to transform our food system in the, to these ends, and this is how we're thinking about doing it. I think those are quite significant commitments, even though they're not smart. They are quite brave, I think, for governments to do that. If governments don't like or don't tend to or don't easily work across sectors and ministries. And food systems, by their very nature, is, are cross-sectoral and multi-stakeholder. And I think it's, that's, that's challenging for, for government. So I think we shouldn't discount that. I think some of the other commitments that are being made at the Food System Summit are pretty vague. And I've been a bit puzzled as to why the uh, commitment um, mechanism hasn't been stronger and more active. Now we at GAIN have one of our own commitments is to develop a mechanism that is gonna hold uh, countries to their own commitments around progress that they make. So it's called a countdown 2030 report. It's, it's rationale and its outlines were published in the journal Food Policy in October of this year. And it's gonna come out every year until 2030. And it's gonna track 40 indicators for all countries uh, across the different outcomes that their food systems generate. So I think that will be a useful uh, input into the into strengthening commitment and strengthening tracking. Jane has also signed up to be part of the Accountability Pact, which is a group of uh, universities and academic institutions that are going to look at the commitment registry uh, of the UN Food System Summit and track those specific commitments. So it will track uh, GAINS commitment. And that, there are about 300 of these commitments. It will track these 300 commitments. Obviously, GAIN will have to step out of the room once uh, when GAINS commitment is being tracked. So I think those are interesting commitments from GAIN to strengthen the commitment more generally around the summit. The N4G summit made commitments um, the N4G is more of a replenishment summit. The UN Food System Summit is more of a member state UN system summit. And so it's about getting the member states, the countries, getting helping them get their ducks lined up in a row so they can transform food systems and actually getting the UN uh, aligned so it can also help transform and support that process because the UN has not been very aligned around food systems until this past year. The N4G commitments, uh, I think the latest tally is about $27 billion raised. And when you annualize that, it's about 5 or $6 billion a year, which is, I would characterize it as holding the line for nutrition. That's about the current level of funding for nutrition from these donors. Now, you can say, well, that's a glass half full or a glass half empty. It's glass half full in the sense that the funding didn't go down. And, uh, you know, it didn't go down in, in the face of lots of other calls, uh, lots of other commitments or, or claims on those resources from climate, from COVID, from a whole range of things, from social protection programs that, uh, that have to be put in place to protect jobs and, and welfare. So in a way that's, that's good, but it's also a glass half empty because, you know, malnutrition numbers are going up and, and $6 billion a year is not enough even pre-COVID. Uh, 
So uh, I think N4G has given us a pretty solid starting platform, but we need to we need to double or triple that that number over the over the next few years. And we need to work hard to do that. I think we need to look outside of the tr traditional nutrition envelopes to do that. We need to look into the climate financing. Uh, we need to look into COVID financing, and we need to look into uh, private sector types of funds, bonds, impact funds, uh, those kinds of things. Um, in terms of gains commitments, we made um, a commitment, you know, our, our annual budget is about 50 or 60 um, million, million dollars a year. So we made a commitment to, um, and it really is a stretch commitment to improve the consumption of um, 6 million people over the next five years to improve their diet quality over the, the next um, five years. Um, and we also made a commitment to increase our reach of our fortification work. To, it's currently at 1 billion people. We contribute to efforts that lead to fortified food being available to 1 billion people. The first commitment is to maintain that. And the second commitment is to expand that quite significantly. I, I must admit, I can't remember off the top of my head what that number is. I think it's about 1.5 billion over the next five years to so go from one to 1.5 billion. Uh, in addition to the, those quantifiable targets, the 6 million improved diet quality, the one to 1.5 billion of accessing fortified staple foods and biofortified crops. We also committed to expanding non-quantified targets, um, but they can be tracked even though they're not quantified to expand the, the portfolio of our work in the environment and the nutrition interface to expand our work on youth. So for example, I'm having discussions with our partnership council about including a youth uh, organization on our GAINS Partnership Council, which is part of our governing body. And we've just hired uh, a couple of environment people. We've just hired a couple of youth leaders. We need to walk the talk and not just talk the talk. So there are a number of commitments we're making. Um, we're committing to, to work with as many unusual suspects as we possibly can. I think one of the things I'm really quite surprised about and pleased about um, it's not it's not squarely in gains strategic domain is the uh, zero hunger private sector pledge um, and gains mission is to improve the consumption of safe nutritious food for all especially the most vulnerable and of course that contributes to reducing hunger but hunger is not our defining frame malnutrition reduction is our defining frame nevertheless i was very pleased that so many businesses, I think 47 businesses at the last count, have stepped up to make a pledge to reduce hunger over the next uh, 10 years. And they've, they've stepped up to align their future investments around these 10 high impact hunger reduction areas that the Ceres 2030 scientific series of reports have identified. And I've been surprised and how willing they were to do that after some initial reluctance to do that. I think they thought private sector, we don't have a role in hunger reduction, but of course they do because they invest in farm farms, they invest in farmer cooperatives, they invest 
in value chains and supply chains, and they invest in retail outlets. So of course they have um, impacts on hunger reduction. Whether they're bigger impacts or smaller impacts depends on which areas they invest in and which countries they invest in. And I've been surprised at how willingly they've stepped up to that. So that's something that GAIN will continue to support. Even if we don't lead it, we will continue to support it. And that's another, another commitment we've made. We had a very busy year and uh, with all these commitments, we're just going to have a very interesting 2022 with a lot more, um, you know, new areas to start working on and expanding into. It's, it's uh, you know, new territory for us in some ways, but it sounds like uh, we're going to have uh, some uh, some challenges and some uh, some interesting times. Well, the so, big challenge for us, uh, Sharada, and for all of us again, and I think for many organizations in the sector is to do two things at the same time is to have a wide angle lens on mm -hmm. the possibilities but retain that focus on nutrition i think um, you can have you can have both but very often when you do the wide angle lens work you get drawn into areas that are outside of your comparative advantage and i think that's that's going to be the trick for us and for most organizations actually that's why we like you, Lawrence, because you make it sound so simple. We only have to do two things at the same time when uh, yeah, we all know that uh, we're all going to be running around trying to do 20 things at the same time. <laughs> but no, I like the framing. It's, uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's a helpful way to look at things. So just continuing to, to look forward into the world we're going to enter next year, 2022. We're still in this kind of very uncertain phase with COVID. Some of these things that you've mentioned about, you know, the impacts of COVID. So things like uh, the food price index is really high. It's higher than it's been in 45 years. There's, there's all these challenges with just, you know, maintaining the status quo in terms of uh, tackling malnutrition. So what are your kind of reasons for hope um, in spite of all these challenges? Uh, are you optimistic looking to the, the future of food systems, not just 2022, but, you know, our kind of uh, our 2030 goals? I think if you want to change anything, you have to be optimistic. And so I think I'm a naturally optimistic person, but I think you have to be if you if you want to see change. But you have to also be realistic. And I think um, what tempers, what, what actually it doesn't temper my optimism, it actually gives it a grounding, is that there, so much energy has been unleashed in this year. Uh, it has to go somewhere. Uh, it could go down... Uh, the drain, or it could snowball into uh, big, big impacts. And we have to make sure it snowballs into big impacts. So I think it's it's in our hands. Mm. Um, it's not totally uh, down to the fates. <laughs> the, the second thing is, I think, I think mindsets have shifted. I don't think it's temporary. I think it's fairly, fairly permanent. I think people have um, said it's no longer good enough just to fix nutrition. We have to fix nutrition in ways that don't wreck the other things we care about, but actually improve the other things we care about as well, because that in turn will help nutrition. I think the new partnerships are really important. Uh, and I think what's interesting is we've developed a whole set of new moments, actually. So for example, GAIN would never really spend a lot of time thinking about uh, COP 
the uh, conference of the parties for for climate change. We would never do that. We, we I think this is the first year we've been to a COP. A couple of our staff members be there for a few days, and I think in COP twenty seven and COP twenty eight we'll be mounting a, a much bigger uh, presence, focusing on food much more strongly in twenty seven and twenty eight in in Egypt and UAE than we did in Glasgow. So I think we have new moments and. Cops are examples of those. I think, uh, again, I think food has been elevated in the public discourse so that now it cannot be not discussed at G7s and G20s. So there's a G7 in Berlin in June, there's a G20 in Indonesia in October. Food will, there'll be pressure on those uh, setting the agenda to, they'll have to have a really good reason to exclude food now because food is so central to the SDGs. So I think all of that's uh, cause for optimism. I think there are new resource opportunities. There are new foundations, new uh, funds for climate. And I think uh, those of us who care about nutrition will have to tap into those. Um, as I said, not just to deplete them and to raid them, but to enrich them. You know, focusing on nutrition is a way of accelerating progress on climate. Um, so I, all of those things kind of give me optimism, Sharada. Well, let's hope for the um, the snowball metaphor mm. to take off and not the uh, the down the drain. Just to bring it back to, to, to 2022 and to focus a bit more on selfishly on gain. Um, many people won't know, but they'll find out next year that uh, 2022 is GAIN's 20th anniversary since it was founded. And Lawrence, you've been at GAIN for, for about five years, and it's a moment to, to look back and take stock and, and regroup and kind of push to achieve GAIN's vision. What does the anniversary um, mean for GAIN and for our partners and for the people we work for? Gosh, I, I know it's, it's incredible. I remember the 15th anniversary. It was just after I joined, like it was yesterday. That's, uh, five years have just flown by. It's been, it's been so much fun. Uh, being at Gain, and it's, I have such great colleagues, really. I'm just so lucky. When we were 15, we said we were a bit like a teenager. Um, I think at 20, we feel, feel we feel a bit more mature. You know, we feel um, like we've really evolved from our beginnings. In 2002, we were a, a solely a fortification organization, and we still still 20% of our portfolio is fortification, but back then it was 100%. But that fortification portfolio, um, it really defined us actually as a food system organization right from 2002. Yes, we were only looking at a very narrow sliver of that food system, but it cut through everything from production all the way through to consumption. And it gave us the, it gave us the window, the narrow window, but it gave us the window into how food systems work when you trace things through from production all the way through to consumption. And so what we've done over the past 10 years and, and intensified in the last five years has really to expand uh, that, that food system perspective. And I think now we are a organization that really connects nutrition outcomes with food system choices. And to do that, we connect public sector choices with private sector choices. So I think a partly part of the 20th anniversary will be reflecting on that evolution in the context of the evolution of the wider field. Part of the 20th anniversary will be uh, also a reflection on our maturity. And there are a number of sort of elephants in the room in our sector that 
just never get talked about. And I would really like the anniversary year to be a moment where we can show the maturity and as, a, as an organization and as a field, as a sector, as a community, to begin to unpack some of these elephants. So some of the elephants are, you know, the role of animal source foods. Yes, they're important for greenhouse gas emissions, but they're also important for malnutrition reduction for some groups and some contexts. How can we square that circle? That's one good example uh, of that, of those elephants in the room. And I'd like to have a series of those kinds of discussions over the next year. Uh, we also want to celebrate success. I'm, I'm always a bit wary about doing that. I always feel like uh, other, other people should highlight uh, an individual or organization success. It shouldn't be for the organization to do that. But, you know, I, I do think it's important to at least reflect on things that have went, have gone well and maybe things that haven't gone well, because that's really the way you learn. And you, you demonstrate to the rest of the world that you are an open learning organization that doesn't always get things right. If you only ever got, got things right, it would mean that you're not taking enough risks. If you ever only got things wrong, it would mean that you're not, you're not taking those risks in a very calculated and strategic way. So we have to reflect on the successes and, and a little bit on the things that didn't work that well, just to show that we are a, a learning organization and, and to learn. And then finally, the 20th anniversary has to be for our, our staff. You know, GAIN staff, they, they really go above and beyond uh, all the time, really. And I, I worry about the work-life balance. I worry about, especially in these COVID times when it's it's so difficult to put even a, a five minute walk between where you work and where you where you live with your family and friends um, so we we work very hard we we go beyond we're not uh, big into hierarchy we're not big into status we're not big into self-promotion and we work hard and uh, our families sacrifice a lot for us and we sacrifice a lot for the cause uh, we believe in the cause. So I, I want the 20th anniversary to also be a chance to celebrate GAIN staff and for GAIN staff to, to really connect more deeply with each other, um, with, with their mission, for them to have some space to reflect and not always be running from one Zoom meeting or one deadline to another. And so how, how to make this a bit more, how to make this uh, 20th anniversary uh, a human series of events and not just a corporate set of events will be high on our agenda. Yeah, no, I'm really looking forward to it, Lawrence. I think, um, you know, learning about everything that uh, that GAIN has gone through and being able to celebrate our amazing colleagues, like you said, um, GAIN colleagues are really just the best people and they're doing such amazing, interesting work and, um, you know, more people need to find out about it. So I'm really looking forward to it. Um, we're approaching the end of our podcast, but I just wanted to finish with uh, with one kind of more fun question um, as we're approaching the new year. Um, this is the time of year that some people start talking about New Year's resolutions and uh, new experiences. So I wondered, uh, do you have a, a food goal for 2022, cooking something new or eating somewhere you you always wanted uh, is there anything on the uh, on the personal side there that you you'd like to share i'm disappointed sharada that you thought the whole interview hasn't been fun but uh, <laughs> sorry of course no i'm just teasing <laughs> um look i you know i grew up in the in the uk in the 1970s and uh 
when you grow up in the UK in the 1970s, food is, the, the framing is food is fuel. And uh, I've spent the last uh, 40 years trying to break out of that uh, initial framing of what, what I see food as. And, you know, every now and then I will lapse into that food is fuel uh, mentality. I've got lots of people around me who help me not fall into that trap, no least of which is my French uh, Greek American wife, Frederic, who's who can talk about food for hours. It never ceases to amaze me. And her family is hopefully coming from France. I hope they'll be able to make it given Omicron. Uh, and then we'll have lots of food discussions over, over the holiday break, which is good. My ongoing resolution really is to be more mindful of of what I eat, both in terms of the quality and the quantities. I'm, I'm sort of prone to snacking every now and then, especially when I'm under stress or, or working hard. And um, I, I have to resist that or at least find some healthy snacks. So celery has been known to find its way into our fridge more, more frequently in the last six months. And I'll, I'll keep, uh, keep up the effort to to just find more and more healthy snacks if I have to snack, but actually try not to snack at all. So that's my that's my resolution. More mindful, smaller portion sizes. You've discovered celery. That's brilliant. Yes, celery is it's been a bit of a discovery. Um, <laughs> vegetables vegetables were not a, not big on our agenda when I was growing up, and so I'm slowly slowly discovering them. You definitely couldn't describe celery as fuel, but um, but it has its uses. <laughs> Uses, yeah. I don't know if it's food either. It seems mostly just cellulose, but it's tasty. I'm sure, it, yeah. It's got. I'm sure it's got plenty of good things in there. You'll have to ask uh, one of the, one of our nutritionists. <laughs> I'm not best placed to answer that one. No. So, um, so Lawrence, thank you so much for uh, for you know all your reflections. It, you've said you know it's been uh, exhilarating and exhausting and exciting uh, last year, full of continual learnings. We've heard about your uh, your smart and your not so smart commitments, but brave commitments. Accountability is growing. There's some reasons to be hopeful. Um, food is firmly on the agenda. And we are, we're talking about some of the elephants in the room, like animal source foods. Uh, Gains growing up, we were a teenager, now we're 20, but we're still youthful. And, uh, you know, looking forward to, to helping make 2022 an even bigger year for food systems than 2021 has been. What are your last kind of uh, your five words in parting for, for us, Lawrence? Stay positive, stay optimistic, and stay bold. Change happens from individuals working together. The, the change from within is the first step, and then change together is the second. And then before you know it, things will have changed for the better. So stay positive, stay optimistic, stay realistic, channel your inner change, and work with others who feel the same. Thanks very much, Lawrence. All right, take care. All right, everyone, eat healthy, stay safe, and wear a mask.